This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Well, I'd like to call your attention this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25 through 40. And if you find it, would you please stand? Verse 25. Now concerning the betrothal, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if you betray a woman marry, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly trouble, and I will spare you that. This is what I mean, brother. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they have none. They had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as, as though they have no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had not no dealing with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divine. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivine devotion in the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his, if his passions are strong and it has to be let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But wherefore, where, but whoever is, form, is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desires under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well. And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happy if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have a spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, again, we come before your throne of grace, Lord, looking to you for help, 
acknowledging our own need, our own dependence upon You, and Lord, acknowledging Your goodness and Your grace, Your mercy in Your dealings with us. Father, we need Your aid in understanding the truth that we have here before us. So we pray, enlighten us, open up our minds to receive what You've given us here in Your written Word. By Your Spirit, bring Your truth home to our hearts. Lord, change us. Mold us into the image of Your Son. Teach us to glorify You in all that we do. And Lord, may what we receive from Your Word today work to that end. We ask all these things in Your name. Amen. You can be seated. If, uh, if last Sunday morning's message made you uncomfortable, you can relax a little. Because we're not totally off of this subject, but... It has shifted, <laughs> so so I think it's going to be a little bit. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit less uncomfortable, maybe than than uh, than last Sunday morning. Um, I do need to recap just a little bit because I, I want to keep us in context here. And there's essentially one discussion going on uh, in this whole chapter, chapter seven. Although, as I said, it shifts focus a little bit. Um, so. Um, one thing I need to point out again, just as a reminder, is that uh, as far as a, a, an outline of the book, the whole book of Corinthians, which, which remember, it, this is a letter. So when, it's, when it is sent, when it was sent from Paul to the Corinthian church, it, it wasn't in book form. It didn't have all the chapter divisions and the verse divisions and all of that. Um, but that's how it comes down to us. But it's, it's a letter, simply uh, uh, an apostle, a pastor, um, out of out of uh, motivated by love for these people and and wanting to see Christ formed in them, writes to them, instructing them. Now here's the shift in chapter seven, uh, a major shift. As I mentioned last week, prior to this, Paul has been dealing with issues that were reported to him. So you you see that in chapter one, verse eleven. It says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Um, and then he goes on to, to deal with the various aspects of that. Of course, some of that is, uh, a major part of that is they're quarreling with him. They are rejecting Paul's uh, authority. And, uh, and then also there are divisions among themselves. And we've talked a great deal about that. Um, now, the shift in chapter 7 is... He's moving from that, from reports he has received about the Corinthians to um, matters that uh, they themselves raised in a letter they sent to him. You see that in verse 1, chapter 7, verse 1. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote. So, he has dealt with, in chapters 1 through 6, he has dealt with matters that were reported to him um, you know, by means of other people. And now he's he's responding to a letter from the Corinthians 
to him, um, which raised various issues, and, and so we're, we're beginning to go, to go through those. And this is going to last all the way through chapter 11, uh, at least. Uh, and so, last week, last Sunday morning, we, we dealt with the first target group here. In verse Again, if you look at verse 1, chapter 7. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to, be, not to have sexual relations with a woman. Uh, I mentioned to you that that is a quote from them. In other words, they are saying it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And then Paul goes on to refute that. And one of the primary reasons is because their idea is that it's good within the context of marriage for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, or vice versa, you know, a woman with her husband. And, and we, I gave you some background to that last week, so I won't take time to go through all that again, just going to mention it here. But um, this, again, is a product of their false spirituality, and it carries them to different extremes. So some of them in their... Um, in their Efforts to be spiritual, their ideas of false spirituality, are actually refraining from sexual activity. And I'm talking about married couples. And Paul's saying this is wrong. And he's calling for repentance. This is, this is not spirituality. This is disobedience to God. God says, they two shall become, the two of them shall become one flesh. Um, which, uh, by the way, he mentions in, in chapter 6. So, Paul's saying this, this is wrong. No, you don't. If you do that, you're defrauding your spouse. You're, you're withholding from your spouse something that belongs to them. Husbands, Paul says, your, your body belongs to your wife. Wife, Paul says, your body belongs to your spouse. So, just like in chapter 6, where he said you don't take your body and join it to a prostitute because your body belongs to Christ... Now he's saying in chapter 7, you don't withhold your body from your spouse. It belongs to your spouse. You don't have power over your own body in that sense. So he's calling for repentance there. The other extreme, I said it takes him to a couple of extremes. The other extreme is what he deals with in chapter 6. Um, this false idea of spirituality is, is, is um, actually leading some of them um, to... Uh, to justify visits to temple prostitutes. So you have both extremes. You say, how could that be? Well, because they're, they're uh, apparently accepting this false dichotomy between body and spirit. And so they, they either say, um, what we do in the body doesn't matter because we're now spiritual. The pneumatic is the, the term here. Um, we've talked quite a bit about that in the first chapters. But we are now spiritual because we're in Christ. And so what we do in the body doesn't matter. It has no effect. And they can take that to a, a very negative uh, extreme on, the, on the, the, uh, the, the libertine side and use it as license for all kinds of immorality, even, again, even visiting um, temple prostitutes, and say, you know, it's, that's fine because that's, we're doing that in the body and that has no effect on our spiritual status with the Lord. On the other hand... They can go to another extreme of, it, of asceticism and say, you know what? The body is evil. We are spiritual. 
And so we want to deny ourselves of any bodily or fleshly pleasure because it's evil. And all it's going to do is distract us from service to the Lord. And so you actually have married individuals who are refusing to uh, engage in sexual relationships thinking that they are being more spiritual that way. And Paul is saying, no, no, that's, that's actually disobedient. That's actually carnal because you're, de- you're depriving your spouse of what belongs to them. And in doing that, you're, you're, you're living in disobedience to the Lord. And there's nothing spiritual about disobeying God. So keep that in mind because they're making this disconnect between body and spirit that doesn't exist, really. I mean, what I do in the body is me. And, and you know, what, whatever goes on spiritually is me. The, the, the two are, are, are one, at least as long as, as, long as I'm alive. They're united in, in a, uh, in a, in a um, somewhat mysterious but, uh, but, uh, but uh, genuine way. Now, we, we know, or we believe, we believe, right, as believers, that if, this, if, if I die physically, that's not the end of my existence. So there, there, there will come a time for all of us, and unless the Lord returns uh, while we're still living, but there, there will come a time for all of us when we will die, our body will die, and spiritually we live on. So at that point, there's a, there's a separation, and you actually continue to live and function and be without your body. But even that is temporary. Because at the resurrection, we receive new bodies. Now, my reading of the Scripture, and a lot of times you hear a lot of funny things on this, but my reading of the Scripture, when, when we are in the glorified state, we're going to be in bodies. We're not just going to be some invisible, uh, you know... Uh, Energy floating around. Um, it, we're we're going to have bodies. It seems to me much like we do now, but glorified in the sense that there's there's not going to be any presence of sin. There's not there's not going to be any consequences of sin upon our our glorified body. <clears throat> what exactly is that going to look like? Well, <laughs> stay tuned. I mean, we shall see by God's grace. But, uh, I, I, you know, the Lord hasn't given us much on that, and I think for good reason. We, we, we just probably can't handle it. We do know this. When Jesus appeared in His glorified body, He, he seemed to appear much just like any other man, other than the fact that He apparently uh, you know, went through closed doors or, or walls or whatever. But when they saw Him, they just thought He was a man. So, um, it's a physical body like, like we have now, apparently, but free from sin. So, the body and the spirit um, are connected in such a way that, I mean, you, you can't make this, this separation that the Corinthians are trying to make here and, uh, and say that one doesn't affect the other or that, you know, if I deny my body any kind of pleasure, I am spiritual on that account. Not, not so, Paul is saying. In fact, in this case, it's actually very unspiritual. It's actually carnal because, <clears throat> because you're, uh, you're in disobedience to the Lord. So now, he, he has moved from that to 
um, addressing singles. We talked about that Sunday night. Um, those who uh, have not yet been married are, are even widows, and he has given, uh, at least advised them to remain single if possible. Now, he's, he's going to talk along those lines again this morning, so, um, so we need to be reminded about that as well. However, he points out in the, in the uh, verses that we read last week up through 24, that that depends on your gifting. All right? So not everybody is gifted to be single. And if you're not gifted to be single, you should not pursue that lifestyle. Uh, one of my uh, professors at Boyce College, and um, when, before he was married, he, he, uh, he went to his uh, mentor and told him that he was really struggling with this question and praying. Um, and he's, he was told him, said, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling with this. I'm trying to decide whether or not I should remain single, you know, live a life of celibacy so that I can be totally devoted to the Lord. And his mentor um, wisely said, um, his name's Barry. He said, Barry, I, I know you. You do not have the gift <laughs> of singleness. Forget it. <laughs> very good, wise advice. And a lot of times it's not very hard to know that about people and it doesn't take, uh, you know, some kind of a special sign from the Lord to figure that out. In fact, Paul doesn't point to that, to that at all. He doesn't say, you know, you, 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 you need to look for some kind of special sign or, you know, written in heaven or whatever. He just says, if you can't control your own lust, you need to get married. It's better for you to marry than to burn with lust, Paul says. All right? So, so it's, there, there's, a, there's an indicator, and it's not complicated. Um, and, and some people have that gift. I mean, they just, they just uh, controlling that. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying it's not, it's not an issue at all, but it's not as much of an issue, and they are able to keep it under check. And, and so, you know, they're, they're gifted in that way. <clears throat> My observation is most people are not. Okay? So, <laughs> Paul says, if you can do it, do it. Remain single. But if you can't, um, be realistic. Get married. Okay? Get married if, uh, if you don't have the gift of singleness. Don't, don't try to commit yourself to a life of celibacy. Alright. Um, and by the way, a life of, a life of celibacy um, uh, or a life of singleness for the Christian, a life of singleness equals a life of celibacy. Those are not two different things. The, the, in the world, you know, they would not necessarily make those things one. But for the Christian, singleness means celibacy. All right. So, now we come to verse 25. And he is now addressing the, uh, the betrothed. And I'll get to that in a minute. Or betrothed, you could say. Um, and notice how he introduces these issues. Verse 1, he says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. And he goes into to talking about the, uh, the problem with the married couples there. And then in verse 25, where we're at today, Now concerning the betrothed. So, so he's moving to another issue that they have raised in the letter that they sent to Paul. Alright, so he says, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, 
but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Now, what is Paul saying there? We, I mentioned this last week. I want to mention it again because I don't want you to get the idea that, that what Paul goes on to say here is not authoritative. You might think that because he says, I have no command from the Lord. And remember the verses previously where he would say, you know, I, I, I say this as a command of the Lord. Or, or he would say, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this uh, as a command of the Lord, but I think this is better. Uh, that's verse 12. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord. So you might think, well, okay, when he says, I, I, I have the Lord's command here, it's authoritative. When he says, I'm telling you this, I, not the Lord, like in verse 12. You might say, well, th- this is apparently advice, but, but not authoritative. Um, no, Every, everything here is authoritative because this is the inspired Word of God. So I, I think what Paul is simply saying, in like, for example, here in verse 25, uh, I have uh, no command from the Lord. And when he says the Lord, he means Jesus. I have no command from the Lord. I think he's simply saying Jesus did not address this during His life and ministry. So we don't have a quote from Jesus that we can pull from. And, and, uh, and so He's saying, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not giving you a command of the Lord, but I'm telling you as one who is trustworthy. His statements are authoritative. And uh, that is one of the, again, important to note, because this is one of the things that Paul is, uh, is, is, is case he's making here is that he, he does have apostolic authority. Uh, what, he, what he's saying, what he's teaching the Corinthians is authoritative. Because, and he's de- dealing with that because they are rejecting his authority. Um, you have to go back to, to chapter 4 to, uh, to get all of that. But, that. but he's still coming from that perspective. He's, he's, he is um, asserting his authority all right, as one trustworthy. Now, verse 26. I think that in view of the present distress... It is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Now, by the way, he's reiterating there what we talked about last Sunday night. Um, don't seek a change in status. If you're, if, you're, if you're single, remain single. Again, if, if you can do that, if you have the gifting. If you're married, remain married. Um, it, it would seem, again, that some of them are actually seeking to be separated because uh, motivated by this false notion of spirituality. Um, marriage is a distraction from service to God. That's their thinking. So we separate so that we can be devoted to the Lord. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. You don't do that. Again, that's a violation of God's command. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder or separate. So stay as you are. Definitely if you're married. Stay as you are, if possible, if you're single. He's recommending it, but you're going to see as he goes on, he's going to say that either way is good. So again, verse 26, I think that in the view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. Now, you see the implication here. You see the indicators here of what... Their thinking is, if we marry, we sin because we're giving in to a, to a fleshly desire. We're seeking to satisfy 
fleshly desires. Now, hear this because this is important. Fleshly desires, and the word, that's one reason this is important to hear this, because the, the term flesh or fleshly is used differently uh, in different places in the Scripture. But when we're just speaking of the desires of the flesh, physical desires, those things are not bad. In fact, they are good. It's good, for example, that you get hungry. And desire food. Because, the Scripture says, God has given us all things to enjoy. So, when you desire, you know, a root beer float or whatever it is, it's good that you have those desires. Okay? God has given us all things. That, I'm just pulling from my own experience here. But, um, <laughs> God has given us all things to enjoy. God... God gives us things to enjoy. That's, that's a profound truth that, that um, I know it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound so profound. It, it's a profound truth. I mean, that God would bless us with these material, physical things for our enjoyment. So, sex is one of those things. Paul is saying, if, if you cannot remain single and you need to marry, that's good, Paul says. You have not sinned. He's only recommending singleness, um, and we'll see in a few, in a few minutes, um, because it is a, a, a less, let's say, distracted life if you're trying to be totally devoted to the Lord. But even that, he doesn't present as bad. He's just saying that's the way it is. Right? So, so keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. They're confused about what is bad and what is good. And Paul is trying to set them straight. And we still, have, we still have that confusion today. And people want to point to things, you know, that, that are harm, that, that are uh, amoral. And say, that's bad. And Paul deals with that in Colossians. You know, don't touch. Don't eat. Don't drink. That's bad. No. No. Not necessarily. So, it's the same way here. Paul is saying um, about marriage, it is not only is it not bad, but it's good. You've not sinned, he says, if you've married. And this is, this is an implication of their own false teaching. If you marry, you sin. So, now, think about this for a minute. Is, is it any wonder? I'm not trying to be crude or anything like that, but, but I think this is what this, the text is telling us. Is it any wonder that some of them are showing up at temp- where temple prostitutes are, if they are trying to force themselves to live a lifestyle that they are not gifted to live. They're trying to convince themselves, I must remain single so that I can be spiritual. And then what happens in a moment of weakness? They break. And... You know, they, they wind up at the pagan temple. Is, is it any wonder? Well, and it's all because of a wrong view of, of sin and a wrong view of spirituality. So, Paul says, if you, if you marry, you've not sinned. Alright? Now, let me also point this out. Verse 26. 
Remember I said he is recommending singleness here um, if possible. He gives some qualifiers for that, though. Look at, look at verse 26. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Well, what does he mean by the present distress? could mean a couple of things. Uh, one thing that it at least is certainly part of it is the, the latter part of verse 31. He says, for the present form of this world is passing away. Everything we know here in time and space, the present form of this world is passing away. We're headed for eternity. Now, this is another thing we've been seeing throughout the letter. Paul is, is saying that the Christian is to be eschatological in our living. That is, we live with the end in view. We live with eternity in view. So Paul is saying all of this is passing away. Therefore, um, take the necessary measures. You know, live accordingly. Live for eternity, not for the present moment. And so, based on that, one of his recommendations is if you can remain single. But it's in view of the present distress. And it may also be that he's talking about things specific to their day. There's a, there's a lot of persecution going on um, in the first century. It, was, it wasn't all that widespread yet at this point. But it was happening in, in spots. And, and the, the Philippians, for example, we talked about in Sunday school, they were suffering persecution. A lot of Christians were. And Paul was imprisoned. And so it may be that that's what he has in mind. In other words, because things are so heated right now, because we're under such distress, under such persecution, then I'm recommending to you that you abstain, if possible, from a lot of what we would consider normal living. And this is one reason context is so important because a lot of times we we pull these things out of scripture and try to apply them to our own self and our own situation and doesn't always uh, that's not always the intention of the writer so um, I, but I would say this at least here he is saying live with eternity in view live your life now with the understanding that this is not it so you want to you want to maximize, and this this is the goal. You want to maximize your devotion to the Lord, whatever that means, whatever that takes. You want to maximize your devotion to the Lord. If and let me be clear again on this, if if you are single and you do not have the gift of singleness then you are not going to maximize your devotion to the Lord by remaining single. So I want, to, I want to stress on one hand, because I think this is what Paul's doing, I want to stress on one hand, maximizing devotion to the Lord. On the other hand, that must be done according to how God has made us and gifted us. Alright? So... Um, and you could say that about a lot of things, not just sexual relations and, and marriage. Um, you, you could apply that in a lot of ways. Maybe overseas missions, for example. That's a, that's a great thing to do. 
It might not be your gift. So, for you to do it would not be the means of maximizing your devotion to the Lord if that's not your gift. Right? Now, on the other hand, if, if God puts that burden on your heart and you're, it's your, you're gifted to do that, I mean, you, you, you're convinced you need to do that uh, by the Word, and then uh, by all means, do it. But the key is maximizing your, your devotion to the Lord. Paul's going to say that in verse, essentially in verse 35. Alright, so that's, that's what he's driving at. And that's the application for us. I'm going to go through these, some of these verses quickly here, and you may be saying, uh, look, I didn't even know what betrothed mean before to, meant before today, so I, so I don't know how this applies to me. Well, this is how it applies to all of us. The Holy Spirit is calling for us to maximize our devotion to God. Verse 35, Paul says to the Corinthians, I want to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Undivided devotion. David, um, in Psalm um, 86, prays, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my... It's an interesting prayer, isn't it? Unite my heart. Sounds kind of odd. Is my heart divided? Yes, oftentimes our hearts are divided. Our devotion is divided. And David longed for a united heart that was characterized by fear of God. That's what Paul has in mind here when he, when he uses the phrase undivided devotion. It's united. So the devotion is maximized. Okay, now let's, let's go through some of this before we have to stop here. We've got a few minutes. Um, so verse 27, Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I I would spare you that. In other words, he's saying, I want to spare you that. Now, let me say real quickly about that term betrothed, because that's a relationship that we don't have in our our culture. It, It is similar to engagement, but it's more of a commitment. Once you are betrothed, betrothed, that, that means that you're going to marry, definitely. So, so it's, it's a lifetime commitment. The difference in betrothed and married is that the marriage ceremony hasn't actually taken place yet, and the marriage hasn't been consummated in sexual relations. But other than that, it's, for all practical purposes, they're considered... To be married. In other words, it's going to happen. That's the relationship that Mary and Joseph had. She was betrothed to Joseph, which meant it was determined that they were going to be married. But she was called a virgin because they had not yet consummated that marriage. So, Paul is talking to people in that relationship. You're, you're betrothed, but you're not married. And this is who he's dealing with specifically in these verses. Um, the, the, the King James uses the word virgin. That's more of a literal translation. Um, but, I, but I think betrothed gets the idea better. In other words, this is, this is who Paul is, is talking about. 
Even though the, the word there is, the word for, for virgin. Okay, um, back to verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, that again, there again he's talking about the present distress. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as those who had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Now let me just kind of paraphrase all of that. I think he's just simply saying, again, live with eternity in view. You, you, you need to live in such a way uh, here and now that you are readying yourself for eternity and living consistent with eternity. When he says, let those who have a wife live as though they have none, he's, he, we know that he's not endorsing their idea of separating. He's already made that clear. We, we know that he's not saying you should not have sexual relations. He's already made that clear. He's not only said that's wrong thinking, but he's saying if you're married, you must have in order to be in obedience to God and to live spiritually, which is what they were trying to consider themselves. So we know that's not what he's saying. So why does he here say if, you're, if you have a wife, live as though you have none? Well, I think, again, he's just, again it's just a way of saying stay focused. On eternity. You have a wife, live as though you have none. Those of you who mourn, you live as though you're not mourning. It's not that you walk around like, uh, like Spock on uh, Star Trek with no emotions, but you just keep things in perspective. The mourning here is temporary. The rejoicing here is temporary. That is rejoicing in things of this world, the, the pleasures we know now, even the pleasures that we were talking about of, of uh, marital sex and so forth, that, that is not going to be carried over into eternity. Jesus makes that clear. So the, re, the rejoicing, the pleasure here is temporary. So understand that. He's not saying deprive yourself of it. He's just saying understand it. Have the right perspective. And those who buy act as though you, you had no goods. So there again, I think it's a minimization of all this seeking self, um, seeking self comfort and so forth. Living a, a warfare mentality, like like he like he describes to Timothy. When someone's engaged in war, he says they don't entangle themselves with the with the cares of this world, so that they can be focused. I was talking to a. Uh, a, a friend and a, a brother in the Lord at work one day. He's a he's a, a Vietnam vet. Uh, uh, did night jumps over Vietnam. He was with 101st Airborne um, in the late 60s, and uh, he he did not marry. I mean, this is some mature forethought for a man that age, because he and his wife already knew, his wife to be at that time already knew each other. But did not marry her before he left, partly because he didn't want um, that distraction while he was there. So he waited until he returned because he said, I knew uh, over there I was going to have to be focused because he was in war. And that's what Paul is calling for here, that kind of mentality. You're, you're living in, in, in a war. 
So, just, just keep that perspective. I want you to be free from anxieties. Verse 32. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. Now he's fleshing this out a little bit. See, here's the deal. The unmarried man can be totally devoted to the things of the Lord. The unmarried woman can be totally devoted to the things of the Lord. Where the married man or the married woman has to also be concerned about how to please their spouse. Now again, hear what he's saying here. That's not wrong. It's not wrong to have to be. It is, in fact, it is our responsibility. My, my, on, on the human level, as far as human relationships go, the number one priority in my life is Leslie. Period. Say, surely you mean second to your children. No. <laughs> number one priority is Leslie. Then children, and then out from there. Number one concern, humanly speaking, as far as human relationships, is the spouse. How I might please my spouse. Paul's saying that's the way it should be. And he even says, that's not sin. If you marry, you've not sinned. That's God's design. He says, a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife. That's a strong word there. There's, there's no other relationship not children, not parents, whatever. There's no other relationship that should be as close as that of a man and his wife. That's the way God designed it. That's why it's carnal, it's disobedience if we live otherwise. So, a, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two of them shall become one flesh, which necessitates... Sexual relationships. And if you, uh, you can see that back in chapter 6, because when he's talking about them visiting prostitutes, he uses that very verse. Don't you know that you're one flesh? The two shall become one flesh? It, it's, it's talking about sexual intimacy between a husband and wife. The two shall become one flesh. I've, I just, I'm stressing that a little bit because I've heard that spiritualized so many times. Ah, oh, we're one, you know, we're, we're one spiritually and this and that. Well, Jesus said, and Adam said, you'll be one flesh. Yes, there's a spiritual aspect of it, but the term is flesh. And it's talking about sexual relationship. Alright, so, Paul says that's the way it is for a married person. They've, they've got to be concerned about that. Verse 33, but the married man is anxious about the worldly things, how he, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. Again, it's not sinful, it's just a fact. That's the way it is. His interests are divided, and the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. And again, that's, that's, that's what he's talking about here, that's what he's teaching them. This is what we all want, holiness in body and spirit. And, and that is the right goal. And so he's saying the unmarried woman, that's all she has to be concerned about. Uh, the rest of that verse, verse 34, he says, But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Again, that's just a fact. That's not wrong. It's not sin. It's just the way it is. So, Paul says in verse 35, I say this for your own benefit. Not to lay any restraint 
upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So Paul says, what I have in view here is two things. Your own benefit and undivided devotion to the Lord. So, for those two things, he says, I recommend that if you're single, you remain single. Or in this case, if you're betrothed, you, you don't consummate the marriage. If, if you are gifted to live a life of celibacy and essentially a life of singleness. I mean, you may have a betrothed wife, um, but if you're not having sexual relationships, you're essentially single. So Paul's saying you only do that if you have that gift. If you can't do that, Paul says, you've not sinned. I'm not trying to put any restraint upon you. I'm only telling you this for your benefit, because if, if you can do that, if you do have the gift of singleness, this will benefit you because you will be able to, to have undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, verse 36, if anyone thinks he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, like the young man I was talking about earlier, that his mentor, <laughs> his mentor recognized that, knew that, his passions were strong, Apparently, he liked girls, and that was no secret. And this is the case with most men. The passions are strong. Paul says, if that's the case, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. And again, he's refuting their idea that it is sinful, because it's unspiritual. It's fleshly. Paul's saying, no, it's not. Singleness is only better in the sense that it will help you be more devoted to the Lord if if your passions are in control so that you can live that way. But whoever is firm, verse 37, but whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, that is, to keep that relationship and not consummate the marriage, he will do well. But notice how strong Paul's language is. If firmly established in your heart, and if you're under no necessity, and if you have your desire under control, if, 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 in other words, if you have this gift, then fine. Keep her as your betrothed. Don't marry. Don't consummate the marriage sexually. Live the life of celibacy. It will be to your benefit if those things apply. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well. Notice that. So he's not, now he's not just saying it's okay. He's saying it's good. He who marries his betrothed does well. Marriage is good. Whoever finds a wife finds a good thing. Paul's teaching here, even his, his suggestion that you remain single if possible is not in contradiction with the rest of Scripture. 
God created man and looked at man and said, it is not good that man should be alone. And so he created a helper. He said he needs a helper. And he created Eve. And Paul's not contradicting that. Jesus said that a man and a woman should not separate. From the beginning, he said it was not so. And Paul's not contradicting that. He says, if you marry, then you've done well. It's good. And we have plenty of other um, texts where Paul gives instruction on how men and women, how husband and wife are to relate to one another. It is a good thing. And, we, and even in our own text here in chapter 7, he, he stresses the importance and the duty, not just the importance, but the obligation, the duty of, of, of sexual uh, intercourse, sexual intimacy within the, within the uh, context of marriage. So he's, he's not saying that marriage is bad. He's saying it is good. He's only suggesting singleness if you have that gift. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will, will do even better. Again, in the sense that you can be more focused on God. Verse 39, a wife is, is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry uh, to be married to another, uh, if she wishes, but only in the Lord. Paul gives some criteria here. We don't really have time to go through all of this, but just real quick. Marriage is a union of one man, one woman. It is for life, bound until the spouse dies. And you may only, if you are a single Christian, you may only marry another Christian. She may be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. And uh, in another text, we're told not to be unequally yoked. So if you're a single Christian, you may only marry another Christian. If you're a Christian who is married to an unbeliever, that is, you're already married and you, you, uh, you know, the Lord saved you and now you find yourself married to an unbeliever, remember that earlier on, uh, Paul has already dealt with that and said, you remain married. The marriage is good. Um, it's not bad because your spouse is lost. The marriage is, 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 uh, is legitimate. It's good. Yet, in my judgment, uh, she is happier. Paul says he's concluding his statements here. Yet, in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, that is, single. The widow is better off to remain single if she can. And I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God, Paul says. So, again, his instruction is stay as you are. Um, don't try to change your status. If you're married, definitely stay married. That's where you will best glorify God. Listen, let me, let me, just, um, let me just try to blow a myth out of the water here. There's no such thing as a Christian man and a Christian woman that are incompatible. You will not find that category in the Bible. And one of the reasons we think that that exists in our society, in our culture, is because we don't have a clue what love is or what the Christian pursuit is. There is no such... The Bible never talks about marriage I mean, I can't think of one place where the Bible talks about marriage as some, you know, fluff, or love that leads to marriage as some fluffy 
kind of feeling. You know, ooey-gooey. Oh, I, I fell in love. I, I don't know of a verse that describes love and marriage that way. It does, in, it does involve affection, true enough. And, and the, the Holy Spirit equips us for that. That's Romans 5. The love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit equips us for that affection. But it also involves commitment. It also involves duty. It also involves action. And that's the kind of love that you find in the Bible. Do they have affection? Absolutely. Because first they love the Lord. And then they fulfill their marriage responsibility, which is exactly what Paul's been dealing with earlier in this chapter. So, in other words, living in obedience to the Lord will make incompatibility impossible. Let me say that again. Living in obedience to the Lord will make it impossible for a man and a wife to be incompatible. So, if you're married, definitely stay married. If you're single, Paul says, stay single if you can. If you can't, be honest with yourself, be realistic, get married. Get married. Um, And glorify God through marriage. Paul says, that's good. You've done well. You've done well. Either way, if your goal is to live the gift that God has given, whether it be in marriage or in singleness. If you are seeking the glory of God, Paul says you do well. Would you stand, please? Guys, I said the one thing that makes, at least one thing, that makes this passage applicable to all of us, because uh, I've never been in a, betrothal um, relationship before. Um, and, and Leslie and I, um, I mean, I guess everything that you could think of as romantic, our relationship, you know, premarital relationship, our, the way we met and everything, was not. <laughs> but, God was in it. And we're married, and so I don't have to wonder if I got the right one, because we're married. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, there's romance today, but it didn't start that way. It doesn't have to start that way. I mean, we, we, we just got a Hollywood idea of love and romance Oftentimes, and we need to have a scriptural idea. Romance is good. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying that, that, that fluff is not the substance. The oxymoron. The, the substance is genuine, biblical, godly love and commitment. The substance is obedience to God's will. 
That's, that's where all of this is applicable. You may say, I, I don't have a betrothed, betrothed wife and I've never been in that kind of relationship. No, but here's the deal. What, what Paul is calling for, what the Holy Spirit is calling for, is wholehearted devotion to God through living out obedience to God's will. And that's, that, that is binding upon all of us. That is applicable to all of us. Regardless of whether you're single, married, betrothed, engaged, whatever. So the question is, are you committed to living for the glory of God? Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Your Word and for these exhortations from Your Spirit. We pray, Lord, that You make Your truth effective in our lives, in our hearts, so that this is our desire, so that this is our commitment to live for Your glory and honor, whether in life or in death, to be committed to honoring You, whether in singleness or in marriage, to be devoted to You. All for Your praise, Your glory and honor. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.